course, we're doing spirit walking. And I wanted to talk a little about this for a moment um, and why uh, I called it spirit walking. We are spirit walking. That quite literally, every cell in your body is made up of soul energy. The atoms that make up your, the molecules that make up your cells, soul energy. The atoms that make up the molecules, soul energy. And the subatomic particles, that whole reality is soul energy, all weaving together this fabric. So your body in this experience, we are living soul as we move through this human experience. It's not something separate from us. And soul isn't something that we have to get out of our body to connect to. There is value in expanding our awareness and learning to expand our identity beyond the confines of our body. And yet, it's also so important that we're able to ground it and bring it into our body and into this experience and understand that this microcosm that we are is wholly in relationship with the macrocosm of all that is. If you, if you Googled online, a lot of places you'll see karma and you'll see the word action and it says karma action is what karma literally translates to. Um, I actually think that it really translates, to, karma translates to act, to do. So it's not actually, and there's a subtle difference there in that because action can just exist as action. It may be the result of karma, but to act is the process of acting or the energy that, that is going out that creates action. That's where karma sort of lands. That's more nuanced for me. Uh, but the definition is to act or to do. Um, and the other part that you'll hear associated, the other definition is that karma is the law of cause and effect. You know, one of the problems with the law of cause and effect is immediately we think li linear. This happens, so that happens. And karma is not so linear. Um, Buddha said that karma, he described it as uh, this arises, that becomes. Right? Is that karma? Yes. This arises, that becomes. So that's what Buddha called it. So sort of like this arises, this exists, this, this happens, so therefore that becomes. So it wasn't necessarily a direct action. You know, it's more like uh, the leaves fell from the tree in the, wind, in the fall. And then winter happened and then spring comes and the trees grow new leaves. Like, they, it's not necessarily a direct correlate, but there's a relationship between these seasons. So karma is this relationship that goes on. So a part of, in order to really understand karma, one of the things you have to do is understand that in our Western view, we're sort of stuck in separation. You know, we don't necessarily believe in the inextricably connected universe of all that is, that we're actually a part of the very fabric of everything. And so therefore we try to take this karma law and we, we break it down into, I do this, that's going to happen. And we're still in these experiences and not realizing I'm, I'm doing this and it's making a wave in the fabric of the universe, creating an experience and that's going to reverberate out there and things are going to happen, possibly with me, possibly directly, possibly not. Um, for the Eastern, the spiritual view is really circular, you know. It was reincarnation. It was, you know, life and death were actually in relationship. You know, we think, oh, birth, death. There are these two opposite ends. One causes the other. For them, it wasn't a cause and effect. There's birth and death, and then they have a relationship. And all of life in between it is the relationship that's happening between birth and death. And it's not just the relationship that we go through. It's all of, out of all of that, there's these other relationships that go into other births and other deaths and these ever-expanding things. And so there's a constant relationship. And so when you think about karma, what they're really talking about is this relationship that's happening. 
They're not just talking about it. And that's the problem with a justice system and believing like, oh, you did something bad, this is going to happen. Or believing in just a debt system of acquiring debt. Because then you think, oh, I did these things, I have to pay it back. We're bringing it in and it's a little self-absorbed. It's so all about us. And yet, our actions and the energy we put out does matter and does have an impact in what our soul experiences. So we're gonna talk a little bit about those nuances as we go on. But ultimately, we are all connected to everything that exists. And the thing that connects us, what's underneath when you strip everything away, is just love. What's underneath karma and the balance that the universe is always seeking is back to this space of love. Kind of always interesting to me, I think about the whole, when you get into different uh, religions and spiritual pathways and you get into this whole thing of like good versus evil and like you know what's gonna win and you know sort of getting stuck in this this cycle of thinking I remember as a kid thinking this I was like well wait <laughs> if everything's made up of love then that means evil's only made up of love so if since we as humans generally we identify as love as something good so I guess we can actually say good is of course gonna win because even if you strip away evil and you go back to its core and where it started, you're gonna ultimately find love somewhere underneath that as the foundation. So of course, because love is all that actually really exists behind everything. But it's actually not really good versus evil because the universe isn't looking from a good versus evil, it's just being itself. And in being itself, certain expressions get out of balance and they get so out of balance they express things that can be really difficult. Some are really horrible, you know? But, you know, at the core, if you take sort of our personal experience out of that, it's just the expression of the universe out of balance and coming back to balance, to its heart, to love. The other piece I really wanted to talk about is, so one of the things we have to do to understand karma is putting ourselves in and realizing we're connected. We have to stop keeping ourselves separate from the rest of the world. One of the things that we do in the English language, you know, we get to be named, we're persons, we're people, and everything else is something else. So there's people, and then there's everything else. If you go into like indigenous languages, you'll discover that the word, and this is why they're so hard, they're the hardest for us to ever learn, for just the most difficult, because our brains have such a hard time processing it, because so often their languages are verb-based. So the word for like saying person or for saying your name is like to be a person, to be spirit in action in this body, to be, the, the word for mountain is to be a mountain, because the mountain is be, it's great spirit being a mountain, because everything is love or, great spirit expressed through this being. So we are literally the expression of God or of love of this force in body. And so that's how they would look at it. So connecting ourselves. And now they're actually even discovering this in science that there's a problem with separating us from everything else. So much talk now from quantum physics about the observer effect. People heard, hear about it? I see some nodding heads. So the idea, I'll tell you a little brief. The observer effect from quantum physics. So what happens is that, you know, basically in the quantum realm, in the subatomic realm, you know, this, a subatomic particle can exist both as a, as a particle and as a wave, and when we observe it, it collapses into one thing. It's no longer both. It collapses so that we see one thing in existence, but it actually is existing as both, and they call it the observer effect. And it's been an accepted theory, and it started in around 1957, there started this fight between Copenhagen and I think the other one was, I think he was in the Americas, but whatever, this debate, because this other scientist sort of came up and said, well, wait a minute, as the observer, we're separating ourselves from the quantum field. And we're saying, oh, now you have an observer, so this thing happens. And we're never gonna be able to get the right equation for this if we don't understand that we are actually the quantum field 
interacting with the quantum field. We're not some separate thing. We can't, in this experiment, separate ourselves because we're not separate. We are the same thing. We exist as that. So it's actually the interaction in the, these quantum particles that are happening. So even science is now having to deal with the fact that we need to write ourselves back into the story and understand that, and write ourselves in as a part of everything else. Yeah, so in effect, uh, we're living in the quantum field all the time. So that's what we are living in. And that quantum field, I actually liken to the karmic field. Um, so we actually have a shared karma. Uh, if you look at karma and you take it out of the personal, if you take it out of my personal journey and we start to look at it in a larger scope, if you look at it as a debt system or you look at it as a punishment system or anything else used in a linear way, it breaks down really fast. So if you go back and you look at the natives, the indigenous people of the Americas, there were over 23 million, I don't know exactly how many, who were murdered, raped, put into camps. Their lives were stolen from them here. But for they, the first tribes here were 13,000 years ago on this land. And for 13,000 years before we showed up, before the colonists showed up, they lived in harmony with the land. They flourished and were living abundant lives. They mostly did not war with each other. Most tribes were peaceful. There were many tribes that actually had sharing and relationships, and they lived in harmony. So what karma, what debt did they have that they needed to be decimated, their entire culture? Yeah? What uh, punishment, what crime might they have committed? Is it, oh, well, well, it must have been a past life. Really, they all came in a past life and came in to be Native Americans to have this experience and to have this wiped away. I think that's bullshit. So that's not, that's not the karma. And if you look at the Holocaust, what did six million Jews do to deserve that? And if we're really saying it's a debt system or you know, a justice system, let's talk about deserve. I mean, that sounds like people, well, that's not what I'm really saying. Well, what are we actually saying, right? So what's karma then, right? Well, if we start to look at it from a, a larger picture and realize that if karma is a field that we live in, and humanity is a part of that field, humans as a whole have a karma. And so humans as a whole have been dominating one another, warring with one another, oppressing one another. So there's actually a human karma that is going on. And so it wasn't necessarily personal to the Native Americans. Part of what we have to realize is just existing in the world, there are karmic things that you may suffer that aren't necessarily in direct relationship to what you've done. And yes, you know, there's so much as you get into spirituality and you start to connect, we get into creating our own reality. And the truth is we have a great deal of influence on reality and what comes to us. Most of that influence actually comes from how we live internally, what we do by going within and actually changing the polarity and the energy that we put out in the world. We have the ability to impact that and therefore we start to influence our, directly our experiences. But we don't literally create our reality. We share a created reality with every living thing around us. So karma is this whole relationship with reality that's going on. And there is our individual karma, and there's the way that we choose to partic participate with the karma of everybody else. And so the other thing that humanity has to learn in order to really evolve, it's actually about expanding our I identity into a we identity. We have to actually move in and really get that. And you know, in order to live in this world, it's really important that we also have a connection to our I identity. You know, it's not necessarily that one needs to be, we don't need to go to the other extreme. 
but we have to go all into only community. We're here to actually evolve in that place where we can live as individuals and yet also be connected to the whole, where we recognize that my actions actually matter to other people and that I can't escape the impact of my actions in the world. Is karma individual to humans? Is it specific to the human race only? And I don't think so. Um, I think acquiring karma, the way we acquire it, is only is to us. And, and we'll get into the nuances of that in a minute. So karma, when we uh, look at karma in the universe, it's really, if we start looking at it, as, it's not cause and effect in linear, but it is actually these actions affect these actions, right? So if you think of, let's say, someday, our sun is, you know, our sun right now is getting hotter, and someday it's going to cool and it's going to burn out. And the Earth is going to die as a living planet. That's absolutely going to happen. You know, is the sun doing that to the Earth? Absolutely not. The sun is just doing what the sun does. But there's a karmic experience because there's going to be a relationship between what happens with the sun and what happens with the Earth. And so, in essence, karma sort of identifies that relationship that nothing can happen over here without something else happening over here. And that's absolutely spirit in the physical form. So the entire universe, everything that is physical that exists, is having a karmic experience on some level. So we have this living universe. Uh, what we have, then we bring this back, right? This relationship. So you have this universe that's this living karma and these planets and these things all affecting one another. If you go into the human body, you also have a universe. Your organs are like planets. And the systems that interact with them are like solar systems. You know, and it's really interesting because something can happen in your toe and have absolutely no effect on your head. Something else can happen in your toe and actually shut down your heart and you die. So just like in the universe, there are certain things that happen that have little or no effect on us directly, and other things happen that can have really dramatic effect on us. And it's not always easy to identify what those are. But there's this karmic relationship that's happening, and it's happening in our bodies. But then, what if we take our bodies and say, oh, me and my body right now, I have a universe inside me, but I in this room am like a planet. And we are in a universe together that we've all created. And all of us and all of our energies together are interacting and impacting each and every one of us. And I'm actually a more significant uh, planet in my family than I am in this room in many ways because of the personal nature of those relationships. But we're constantly having these energies. And so when we're living in a karmic balance, we're living in, in and if we really are living in harmony with sacred law, which would be dharma, we would be cognizant of those actions. We would be present in such a way so that the choices we make would always be about being in harmony with the environment around us. Now, with respect to some things like the sun explodes, there are certain things we may have to do for ourselves that aren't necessarily harmonious, but they're also not to inflict harm. You know, the energy with which we impact that has a lot to do with the karma that we accumulate. Because we're all connected in this fabric. So we're having a psychic conversation with one another all the time. And the thing is, you can't lie to karma. What we have that's really significant to the conversation that we're having today is self-awareness. And what we also have, so I think we've established what karma is. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about, you know, is here's what karma is. Is it impacting my life? Hell yeah. You know, it's how do we work with it? You know, and the thing is, if we have self-awareness, the first thing that we immediately think, that humanity automatically has thought this is, oh, I have self-awareness, 
I have free will. That these two are absolutely inextricably connected. It's not true. <laughs> it's actually not, it's false. When we have self-awareness, we have the potential for free will. That's, that potential is inextricably connected. But the actual act of having free will is not a given. And actually, most of us are not exercising free will. I would actually say probably 99.9% .9 of the people on the planet are not actually living in free will and believe they are. So one of the things that we've done uh, is you know, we've actually put people into laboratories and we've measured chemicals in their brain. And we've discovered that we can predict certain behaviors when they're given a choice based on their brain before they actually make the choice. That the choices actually happen inside them before they actually make it. And in many ways, there are certain scientists that are trying to prove that free will doesn't even exist. I don't agree with that either. Um, but I do know that what we're living in right now is something that was created somewhere back there. We're not living, what, what we're experiencing is actually not been created in the present. It was created somewhere back there. And not because something happened back there. Not because something created this thing. Not cause and effect in the sense of this act happened so that act is happening. It's actually because we were being somebody. So as this being embodied as Asa, I was being a certain way as a child. And the being that I am now or who I've become has an impact from that. So that who I am today, if I keep living on automatic, is actually the influence of who I've been being more than even what I've actually done. So I think I'm making a choice, but actually most of my choices are reactive. And most of those reactions have been sitting in me for a long time. And they affect chemicals, and I have very little power over them, which is why so many of us suffer internally, our, our internal weather, our self-esteem, our feelings, our sense of self in the world, and our sense of power in the world. So, uh, I think, actually, I want to just really insert in here, the, before we go forward, is really understanding that we, we carry in us three types of karma. Uh, there's, and I actually have the Sanskrit word, but I'm not going to do it to you. <laughs> so I'm going to say them in English. Um, so the first karma that we have is accumulated karma. So that's sort of what people were talking about earlier, where we bring it from the past lifetimes or whatever. We accumulate karma through our experiences. Um, then we have destiny karma. So destiny karma is like, you know, you have a child that's born suffering a certain disability. Maybe they're born blind, you know, or born with all sorts of issues. I'm dyslexic, you know. Some people are born with better personalities, you know, whatever it can be. All of that can, you can say in some ways is the imprint of the karma. And so this is the destiny. And then from that, you move forward. So, you know, we don't always get to control the destiny. We don't always get to control what's happening but then we sort of have a choice about what we do with it. And so the third karma is free will karma. So accumulated karma, uh, destiny karma, and free will karma. So, yes? I mean, I would say yes. I, I think you can change all of it to some degree. So even the destiny karma, you can change for a different experience in the future. You might not stop being blind in this lifetime, but you know, it doesn't mean that you're not having an impact, right? Because, see, that's the thing we also think so small. We're so stuck in our short little, you know, 80 years we might get if we're lucky, 100 years, whatever. But, you know, we're actually existing on and on. The soul is unending. And so, you know, when we're working with karma, we're working with, with beyond this lifetime. 
we're actually also working with our past. Because once you get into soul energy, it's all connected. So we're not only changing the future, we're changing the past. Not living in self-awareness in and of itself is an act of free will. And so when you do that, all the karma that you accumulate post whatever that decision was where you didn't decide to do what it takes to actually live in, in uh, self-awareness. Because in order to have free will, that's what we have to do. We actually have to move into a place where we're living in self-awareness. And that's not so easy. So by not doing that, we're actually making a karmic choice. And in not doing that, we're actually acquiring karma as we go through. Let's look at our children. You know? And so you have a child and they're struggling with low self-esteem. One of the first things you're going to do is look for places where they can feel good about themselves. Look for places where they can feel strong and try to engage them with that. And you know, in doing that, what you're hoping is that that will sort of add to their confidence and their sense of self. And often it does. You, know, you find out you know, little Jimmy goes and plays football and discovers, like, I'm a badass on the field. I got this. You know? And so the problem is that you know, the next thing that can happen is little Jimmy discovers that post-football, he gets to hang out with his friends. And then they start partying and like, oh, that feels really good. And that's fun. And then little Jimmy starts dating. And he's like, oh my god, I got these girls. And, and he keeps going. And he starts layering on and then goes to school and is like, oh, I'm good at these subjects. And I think I can do this for a career. And now I have money and I can do, buy these things and they make me feel good. And Jimmy keeps going. And what we've done is we feel good about ourselves. Look at Jimmy. He's created this great life. But on some level, Jimmy's also over-suffering in some way. And we know it. He's in and out of depression or he has different things going on. And what's happened is we've given him this ability to build this confidence or this identity over here. But there's been no awareness giving to his low self-esteem. Because what we did is, we didn't just bring confidence in and then turn towards the self-esteem. We kept going. And so at a certain point, all of these things that we did to help build him up turned into medication. We were medicating Jimmy with these different things. And we helped him build an identity that was a medicating, but we didn't actually help him get connected to his identity, to the place where he could just feel good about himself just because he's Jimmy. You know? So am I suggesting that we shouldn't have taken Jimmy to find you know, football? Absolutely not. I mean, I think that that's one part of the ingredient. I think that's an important ingredient to help our kids, or even for ourselves, to find things that we feel good about. We're, as humans, we need that. We need to develop our problem. But what I am also saying is that we also need to actually create space for what doesn't feel good. See, you can't be self-aware and just be in the positive stuff. You know, all this idea that manifesting in the secret and we must be positive all the time. If you are positive all the time, you are in denial and what you are manifesting is not authentic. So now, we need to be positive focused in our life. If you want to create a good life, you want to have a positive direction that you're headed. But you don't want to be out of tune with the fact that there are certain things that happen that suck. And I want to be also get so identified with what sucks that I'm just becoming a victim and I'm sinking into that hole either, right? So it's really self-awareness is the space where we create awareness and we create space for the things that are uncomfortable with us without just trying to do therapy or do things where we dissolve, try to make them go away or try to understand them in our mind, but where we actually create the safe space to experience them as they are. And so I have a person right now Super amazing. They're so successful in their career, you know? Uh, so in some ways, somebody important in their industry and really confident. And, and I am not going to tell you that the confidence that this person exhibits is not real when she can get up in front of 
thousands of people and speak or do certain things. You know, it's, there's a real confidence and I admire it. And I am gonna tell you that she is plagued by the mountain of insecurity that undermines her ability to be happy in that every day. And part of it is because we're trying to work on this concept of bringing awareness to this and it's like, I don't even know how to bring awareness to this thing. My life has come so much further from that. I have all these things. I can tell my, you know, how my house wants to be cleaned. Who's gonna do what with my dog and this. Like, I'm in control of all these things. What do you mean? And I'm saying, you just have to go in and surrender and feel. And it's like a foreign concept for most of us. We've lost the ability to just feel. And when we lose the ability to just feel, we actually lose the ability to connect with karma, to be in relationship with the universe, and to understand the impact. Because when we understand our own feelings and we go through these things, then we can actually get in tune with what's happening here. And then we know when our action is actually having an impact and when that impact is actually creating karma or not. We know when we're in sync with cosmic law or not because we feel it in our bodies because our body is soul energy and it knows when we are out of balance or not being truthful. Karma is a relationship. It's a relationship with what we're putting out and with what's coming back to us. It's a relationship. And so there's ideas, there's information in here, but there's not necessarily hard rules on it. There's releasing ourselves from karma and sort of the process of releasing ourselves from our attachments and what we have going on. And, and there's, there's forgiveness, there's coming into faith, there's all of that. But there's the other side too. So if, if we're all intricately, inextricably connected in this karmic relationship and like these things that are happening that are happening to everyone, that are happening to us. We've all created that. And so like, right now, what do you do when you have a situation like a sociopath? You know, if you've known a sociopath who's never, ever, ever going to experience the pain of their karma. Because they don't fucking care. <laughs> They're just, not like they don't care, like you don't care. They don't care. They have no connection to that part of their being. They realize it. We created them. They're part of the imbalance of humanity that we're creating them. Look at what's happening in the generations of cancer and the spread of certain things. This is the direct result of our energy and we're putting out there. So we have a relationship to it. Does that mean that we need to accept the sociopath and allow them to harm us? No. Karma is not necessarily, it's how we deal with it. It's, it's that subtlety, it's the energy on the inside. It's not just the act. That's why it takes self-awareness. We're not connected to who we are and what's really happening in here. If we're just in our heads and we're going on automatic, we're not actually in tune with our motivations and with the energy that we're actually putting out in the universe. And so you have good people going out there doing you know, good things and they're having miserable experiences. Haven't we all known that person who's like always a victim? Oh my God, something bad has always happened. But they're always just so nice and I just don't know why that always happens to me. You know? And some level, if you get to know them, you're like, there's some heavy stuff stored up in there. You know? It's like, you, know, you, you can't lie to those energies. You, can't, you can lie to yourself. You can pretend and act a certain way, but that's not where the energy is generated. So, uh, so yes. But I think there's the other side where I'm coming to is yes, it is about having that faith, but I think it's also about compassion. So for me, I don't want that sociopath anywhere near me or my family. And I might actually put that sociopath in prison if I have the opportunity, if I think that they're dangerous enough in that way. But I also want to always keep in my heart and remember that that sociopath is also a part of an extension of our humanity and what we helped create that.
Buddha freed himself from karma. So the thing is, he didn't ascend out of it. He freed himself by not creating more karma. So what that means, and what you have to realize, is that he still had to experience his destiny and his accumulated karma. He just changed and he moved into his own free will, having the ability to not generate more karma. And so that's the story of Buddha. And so that's a lot of what the Buddhist teachings are about, bringing us back to non-attachment, you know, attaining, um, what's that? Yeah, attaining um, nirvana, attaining a state of nirvana, which is, so that's the thing. When you start to release all these attachments and you just are able to live in your presence, it's really hard initially because all this stuff comes up. But the more and more you do it, the more you sort of, as you start to feel safe and whole in that, it's, it's really powerful. You know, I can't say I live there all the time, but I, I've experienced moments of it where you're like, whoa, wow, okay. You know, so this is what Buddha was doing and working on. And so some of the ways that he did it was to meditate. You know, so how do we sort of move in this direction? Um, meditation is a good tool. There's, it's everywhere. But I'll tell you, you can meditate. It's not just sitting there and meditating and finding moments to quiet the mind. This is what most people are doing is people are looking to dissolve the negative thoughts in their minds or to dissolve something negative. Meditation is about finding a tolerance for it, right? So like when you sit down and you first um, meditate, there's all this noise that happens. And I can't tell you how many people, they go in and they're like, oh, I'm trying to silence my mind, and they quit because it doesn't happen. But it, it's actually not really supposed to. You know, a totally silenced mind kind of doesn't exist. Ask a, some of these monks that have been meditating forever. They'll tell you, I don't hear it anymore. Someone will say, ah, I don't hear it. But it doesn't really exist. Do you know why? It's really simple. So, you know, we're not, we, have, uh, we have yin organs and we have yan organs in our body, quite literally, right? So, yan organs, they get a break. So, yan organs work sometimes, but not all the time. So, for example, like your stomach, right? A lot of people are having stomach issues because we start eating small meals so often. Some people are eating all day long. They never stop. They don't fast. They don't anything. And their stomach has a problem. Why? Because your stomach actually is supposed to rest. It's not supposed to be working all the time. I'm not saying small meals are bad. So, but the stomach needs a break. But then we have yin organs, and yin organs never take, get a break. They, they start when you're born, and they stop when you're dead. So, for example, your heart. What do you think the brain is? Yin. What does a brain do? It processes, it thinks, it does. So the brain makes noise. If your brain's not making noise, there's a problem. But you can harmonize your brain waves so you're not a victim of those noise. What happens is our brain's making noise and we're chasing these thoughts all the time. We're like victims of it and we're not present. right? But being present doesn't mean that we have to silence this. Being present is where we actually learn how to be in a space where that noise is happening, but it's happening separate from us. How many people have ever had, I mean, I literally have been on the subway, going to work, busy, not thinking about anything, like just in my own little do-do-do, headphones on, whatever. And the next thing you know, I got my mind, and I'm like, like my mother's funeral, you know? And I'm like doing this, and there's this whole story going on, and I'm having these emotions come up and whatever. And then all of a sudden, of course, what happens to me? My first thing is I have to go, holy shit, am I having a psychic experience? <laughs> or am I having this weird fantasy, you know? But I'm going to tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a psychic experience. And I don't even think it was a weird fantasy. I think it was the brain. The brain, what it does is it's, it's a survival-based organ. That's what it's in your body for, to help you survive. 
Consciousness is behind the brain. The brain is here to help you survive and navigate the world. So what it's doing is looking for dangers. And it found inside me somewhere that the worst fear that I might have is my mother dying. And it said, oh, here's something to be scared about. Let me throw that up there and see what he does. You know? And if I attached to it, it could have really impacted my whole day. Instead, I sort of laughed at myself. And it's like, oh, yeah. OK, I'm telling myself my secrets. You know? Damn, can't hide. But our brain makes noise. So meditating can be done anywhere, anytime. It's really about finding tolerance for that. So one of the things you can do if you want to find more presence and begin to work on this is that when you're walking to work tomorrow, just become more aware of your energy in relationship to the flow of the crowd. You know, are you pushing your way through? Are you getting pushed around? Or are you in rhythm? Can you not get in rhythm? How are you feeling? Who am I in this moment? You know, what am I experiencing? Am I all about where I need to go? You know, all of that stuff. I love it. It's great. You said enough. And I'm happy to dive right on it. Uh, so, you know, I don't necessarily think, first of all, that, that being in balance and in harmony doesn't mean we're not going to experience those things, number one. It means that we're not necessarily going to inflict on others from that space. There's a difference. So first of all, realize that anger coming up is it's normal. And in certain situations, they're unacceptable. And sometimes it comes up so that we can say, like, stop, you don't get to do that. You know, and, and we might actually need that. Sometimes it actually allows us and gives us permission to harm another, you know. It sometimes it gives us permission to harm ourselves. And one of the ways we do that is by when we're angry, what do we usually do? I know I do it. I'm really good at fighting up here. I have great arguments and I always win. So, you know, except for I'm not. I'm inflicting horrible damage upon myself. And I'm, I'm actually really attaching myself karmically and I'm developing a great deal of weight that's gonna cause me to have to process. And I'm not only doing that, damn it, I'm actually invading my unconscious mind and I'm programming it towards these behaviors. So I'm gonna keep recreating it because the unconscious mind doesn't separate good experience from bad experience. It says, oh, you, you go into this experience a lot. You must want more. And so it's gonna give me more reasons yeah. to be angry. And so I'm sort of setting myself up. Yeah. And maybe that's a part of the whole karmic journey in and of itself, right? So what you do with it is you actually have to make space to feel it. You know, in my opinion, this is, you know, and, and sometimes, listen, in order to get there, let me not negate that it might take therapy and there might be different things we do to get to this place. But ultimately, where you want to go is when my anger goes up, I want to hold space for it and allow it without needing it to express or telling everybody or trying to throw fuel on it and really let that come up. And then sometimes I might need to go to what's behind the anger and see if I can't get to feel that. And it might take me weeks of allowing anger to exist in me for it to dissolve. It's not necessarily something that we just hold space and wait 10 minutes and it goes away. I mean, sometimes it does. It might settle down and then you might find it coming up the next day. Or it might be something that really stays for you a while. It's about building tolerance for the process. And if we're going to collapse the anger, we actually have to first experience it. And what happens is we'll sort of find out what's underneath it. And I believe if we keep doing that, eventually we'll come to the place where we can hit that button on karma. Karma means to act. What is the act that I want to take in response to this? What's the one I want to take? What's the one that's going to create the result that I'm looking for? You know, or what is it that I need to do for myself? And I'm not even worried about the result, but I'm going to do this for me, and that feels right. And you have to actually deal with whatever that creates in you. you know, maybe I need to call you out for something. And maybe that, that might be harmful for you in some ways, but I'm going to say, you know what, it doesn't actually matter. I have to actually do this. You know, but I'm going to wait until I've dissolved that anger enough that I, actually, I can do that from a place where I'm claiming myself. I'm moving from awareness. That's what we're going to do with anger. Answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's first getting OK with the fact that we get angry. So one of my big things I had on here uh, that I was getting into was uh, self-acceptance. 
you know, one of the first steps for moving to a place where we can begin to be self-aware, we have to first be willing to even accept what we find in there. You know, we so want to be these images of what we think we're supposed to be and be these, these things, and we don't have space for self-acceptance. And when we don't have space for self-acceptance, we're masking, and when we're masking, we're out of alignment. If you have something actively up, the first thing we have to do is not do anything sometimes. To actually back away from it. So we can see what's actually there, right? So we're not clinging to hang on and to fix. We're actually letting it settle and seeing like, oh, is there even any energy here in the first place? Maybe it's ended and you haven't accepted it. I don't just mean relationship. Whatever the thought, wherever this can be, wherever karma is showing up. The real, one of the key places that we're going to in the, the steps towards healing karma is actually moving towards forgiveness. Forgiveness is such an important part of the process. But I want to tell you, forgiveness is not absolution. I actually believe forgiveness in a really infantile state is just that moment when your desire to heal becomes greater than your desire for justice for whatever happened to you. That's the beginning of forgiveness. It actually has nothing to do with absolution or what that other person does. And some people go through a journey of forgiveness where they just get to a place where they release their attachment to that outcome. They're actually living in many ways in forgiveness in the sense that I'm freed myself for that. And they never offer absolution. Others have a need to. They get to that place and they get so far down the road, they're like, oh my god, I actually do want to let them off the hook. That's up to them. You know, sometimes I don't necessarily recommend absolution. There are people who are perpetrators that will perpetrate again. And so you need to realize that they need to do that. But you also have to forgive them in their imbalance for existing. Even if you're not even forgiving them for what they did, I forgive you for existing. And the fact that you exist brought this harm to me, and I'm just going to forgive your existence, and I'm going to start there. And then to realize, like, and I'm going to suffer my pain, and that doesn't mean I'm not going to feel that, but I'm going to end my attachment to you. So this is part of where we move and start working with karma in a way. And it's where we start to enter that space of love. And it's really where we start to enter the space of love that's in us and for ourselves, which is the most important thing, because when we begin to enter love here, then we begin to interact through love here. And loving ourselves is about acceptance. It's about forgiveness. It's about making space for all of those parts of you, even the ones that aren't really comfortable. And you don't necessarily have to go to that place. Loving yourself doesn't mean that you have to be like, wow, you know what? I've got that big old thing on my face all the time, and it comes back every day, and I love it. No, I don't. I wish that shit didn't happen. You know? But I'm going to, loving it is accepting it. Do you love every single thing about your kids? I don't buy that bullshit. Do you love every single thing about your partner or your friends? There's nothing that you don't love? That you wouldn't wish? Eh, it was a little bit more like this. Things would be better. <laughs> you never had that thought? We don't have to love every single thing about ourselves. We have to find space for acceptance. Self-acceptance is how we love ourselves. And then we begin to take care of ourselves better in our relationships because we believe we deserve to have positive things come to us. So our sense of self-worth begins to come. And then we treat others different. And this is how we begin to change our global karma. That's why my concern in this whole talk was really brought me to this place of wanting to do this, was because when I hear debts and justice, I just see us perpetuating the same old pattern that we've always been in. And if we don't begin to start thinking differently, we're just going to stay in this. And our globe is actually definitely going to end, whether we figure out ways to fix it or not. If we want this globe to exist and people and humanity and to go on, and we don't want to just be even, to not just go on into other planets, to not just exist as cyber people and all these things that we're headed towards. You know, if we also want to preserve humanity, we have to preserve what makes us human. 
And what makes us human is wholly connected to some of the dark-ass shit that we carry inside of us. That's a part of our humanity. And on the other side of that is great light. And as long as we're living in this world of polarities, we're going to hold space for both. But I'll tell you, where dharma is, where sacred is, where awareness is, it's the space in between. It's that place between our lightest side and our darkest side. There's a thin line where they connect. That's really the space of holism. It's not in the positive or in the negative. It's actually in the heart of it all. And when we really connect into that, no matter where we're swimming, we have our center. <laughs>